Hello, my name is Brad Onishi, and I am Associate Professor of Religious Studies at Skidmore College and the co-host of the Straight White American Jesus podcast at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Uh, today, I'm acting as my uh, in my role as co-chair of the Secularism and Secularity Group at the AAR. Uh, I work alongside my uh, co-chair, Professor Lucia Holsetter, and uh, today I am here to present uh, three amazing book presentations by some great scholars. And so this is the, the, the panel titled African-American Secularism and Free Thinking, Recent Work in the Field. And as it says in the AAR program book, um, on this roundtable, we have three authors, and our goal is to highlight the main theses and themes of their recent works on African-American secularism and free thinking and, and racism and the history of, of those terms and those uh, phenomena. Instead of highlighting just one of these uh, authors, as often happens in these kind of author meets critics panels, our goal has been to bring together uh, these three uh, scholars and thinkers and writers to uh, stage a conversation among them. And so what we're doing now is presenting the pre-recorded uh, sessions that we did with each of the authors, Carol Wayne White, Joseph Winters, and Nathan G. Alexander. Uh, what you'll hear in the following is, is each of them explaining the uh, the main arguments of their book, um, the kinds of audiences that they had in mind when they wrote it, uh, the gaps in the literature that they felt they were filling in by completing this project, and the kinds of research questions and, and pathways uh, finishing the project has opened up for them. And uh, as you will listen, I'm sorry, as you will hear, their explanations of their work uh, are really windows into just rich research uh, portfolios. And so our goal is for you to uh, have available these conversations, to be able to listen to them at your leisure. And then when we get to our live panel uh, at the AAR, uh, just in a, in a couple weeks, we will have a more detailed and nuanced discussion um, among the, uh, the three authors and then uh, with questions from the audience. So before I turn to our conversations, let me just briefly introduce each of the uh, authors uh, in the order that their conversation will appear. First, we have Carol White, who is Professor of Religious Studies at Bucknell University. Professor White has uh, published three books. Uh, first, Post-Structuralism, Feminism, and Religion, Triangulating Positions, and that came out in 2002. The Legacy of Anne Conway, Reverberations from a Mystic Naturalism from SUNY Press, and that's in 2009. And then there's her book that we will be discussing today, and that is Black Lives and Sacred Humanity, The Emergence of an African-American Religious Naturalism, which came out from Fordham University Press. Our next presenter is Dr. Joseph Richard Winters, who is the Alexander F. Hemeyer Associate Professor of Religious Studies in African and African-American Studies at Duke University. He also holds secondary positions in English and Gender, Sexuality, and Feminist Studies. Professor Winters has a forthcoming book, titled Disturbing Profanity, Hip-Hop, Black, Black Aesthetics, and the Volatile Sacred, which is under contract with Duke University Press. And today we'll be discussing his first book, Hope Draped in Black, Race, Melancholy, Melancholy and the Agony of Progress, which uh, came out a couple years ago, also with Duke University Press. Our final presenter is Dr. Nathan Alexander. Dr. Alexander uh, received his PhD a couple of years ago from the University of St. Andrews and was recently a postdoctoral fellow at the Max Weber Center for Advanced Cultural and Social Studies at the University of Erfurt in Germany. Today, we will be discussing his book, Race in a Godless World, Atheism, Race, and Civilization, 1850 to 1914, which appeared from NYU Press 
uh, and Manchester University Press in 2019. I'll turn now to my conversation with Dr. Carol White, then we will hear from Dr. Joseph Winters, and finally, Dr. Nathan Alexander. Okay, well, I am joined now um, by Dr. Carol Wayne White, and uh, we are uh, recording Tuesday morning or Tuesday afternoon, I should say. Uh, so, um, first of all, let me just say thanks for taking the time, Dr. Wayne White, for for to join me and, and to to participate in this panel. I'm really grateful. Thank you, and you may call me Carol. Okay, I may call you Brad. Of course, it's a pleasure being here, Brad, and I'm delighted to have this opportunity to speak with you about my book. Yeah, well, and, and so I wanna just give folks a, a little bit of a, a kind of um, understanding of your work. The book is Black Lives and Sacred Humanity Toward an African-American Religious Naturalism. And I wondered if you could just start by talking to us about the topic of your work, your primary thesis. Um, you know, if you had to kind of give us a, a broad overview of the work, um, what would it be? So Black Lives and Sacred Humanity um, presents a model of African-American religiosity that is not grounded in theistic claims. And it draws on current developments and um, critical theory, humanistic perspectives, and the religion science paradigm. This model of African-American religious naturalism that I um, constructing the book, advances a naturalized understanding of religion. And in doing so, it sheds new light on a perceivable thematic pattern that helped to shape the evolution of black religious thought in the United States since the, the historic slave um, experience, namely the necessity of dignifying and valuing the humanity of Blacks against the norms of white supremacist assumptions. Also, in terms of my argument, I underscore the conceptual richness of this liberationist motif within Black religiosity, as I argue that what is primarily at stake is how we conceive our humanity as well as the social, ethical, and ecological implications of that conception. Towards that goal, I offer a model of African-American religious naturalism that presupposes human animals' deep, inextricable homology with each other and with other natural processes, drawing our attention to an expansive view of a common humanity as an emergent phenomenon, not an achievement. And I hope to unpack some of that during our conversation. Within the book, I introduced this concept of sacred humanity, which is part of the title. And this concept emphasizes one view of humans as sacred centers of value and distinct movements of nature itself where deep relationality and interconnectedness become key metaphors for honoring all life forms. So that's what my book is about with all of that technical language. One of the things that I was struck by is the way that you explore modern cosmology, essentially, and, and other forms of, as you mentioned, just scientific discourse. 
you know, the words that struck out to me in your explanation there were interrelatedness. Um, and I was just thinking about, you know, some of the work that's being done in those areas on, on cosmology and, and especially in, in terms of uh, quantum mechanics and so on and so forth. Yes. So would you just give us a little insight into how some of that plays into your, um, your thesis in the book? Oh, absolutely. Thank you for the question, too. So um, the theoretical groundwork for the book is religious naturalism. And religious naturalism is a uh, worldview. It's an orientation that is based in scientific views of reality. And what that means is that um, religious naturalists use the methods and the perspectives of empirical science to validate what is true. In this light, anything that is supernatural is, re supernatural is rejected. So in my book, I follow the work of Ursula Goodenough, Donald Crosby, Loyal Rue, who are some of the prominent religious naturalists who actually argue that um, when you think about interconnectedness, you have to understand that um, the world as we know it, the evolving universe as we know it, is actually this fascinating matrix of interconnected natural processes of which humans are a part. And so I take that basic tenet, and it comes from scientific empirical data, and I construct a notion of humans as part of this larger matrix of natural processes. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. It's, it's just fascinating. And, and then, you know, in ways that are um, so impressive and, and so audacious, you, you connect that paradigm to a lineage of thinkers uh, Cooper, Du Bois, Baldwin. And so, um, you know, how, how do they fit here? I mean, because that, that's, I mean, it, it's amazing the breadth of what you're doing in the book in, in those terms. Thank you, Brad. And, and, and so once I've constructed the theoretical grounding for this, um, I was challenged to say, well, why is this African-American religious naturalism, mm -hmm. not just um, religious naturalism? And I take this, these ideas and I trace them in select works of these three iconic figures to justify calling it African-American religious naturalism. So uh, some of you might not know about Anna Julia Cooper. She was an earlier um, figure along the lines of um, Du Bois. Uh, she was a little earlier than him, but they overlapped. And she had this fascinating set of um, essays in her book, in her collected essays, A Voice from the South, in which she utilizes naturalistic imagery and views of nature to argue for equality against the white supremacy of her day. Uh, so she's one of these interesting figures, historical figures, who, who utilize a lot of humanistic, naturalistic ideas and methods to argue against the very myopic, depraved notions of humanity that kept Blacks outside of the circle of humanity during her day. Likewise, um, Du Bois um, is an interesting figure in terms of his religiosity. A lot of people um, have actually said that he was against religion, but um, scholars like Jonathan Kahn and myself are actually arguing that no, um, Du Bois's um, religiosity is a naturalistic, humanistic understanding of religion. 
that basically is common sense perspectivism. He, in many of his works and in his biographies, or autobiographies, he argued against supernaturalism as well, not consistently, but in, enough to, to use him as another precursory figure to say that Black religion is really about Blacks themselves um, through natural phenomenon justifying who they are against these very, very challenging, problematic um, racial categories. And then we have Baldwin um, in the mid 20th century who retaliated and challenged the holiness tradition in which he grew up and argued again for a much more naturalistic understanding of black life and black culture without subscribing to the traditional theistic claims. So those three figures, to me, they're my heroes. They, they inspire me and they've inspired a lot of, um, not just African-Americans, but a lot of um, contemporary thinkers in terms of understanding new ways of constructing our humanity and recognizing that we all are interconnected. No, it's it's wonderful. I, I my next question was gonna is gonna be, you know, what is the sort of gap in the literatures or knowledge that you wanted to fill in by writing it? And one of the things that struck me as you were speaking there, Carol, was just that the lineage you construct from from Cooper to Du Bois to Baldwin in conversation with the scientific paradigm we talked about seems to provide a robust response to the racist eugenicist sort of um, science, you know, fault faux science, I'll call it, that was being peddled at the end of the 19th century, early 20th century. I wonder if that's maybe some of the, the, the gaps you wanted to fill in the literature, or maybe I'm, 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 that's just my sort of interest and, and you had other thoughts in mind when you, when you started the work. Yeah, again, thank you for that question, Brad. Um, somewhat related to your question in terms of a gap is really me taking a particular form of knowledge, science, and reclaiming it. In the past, it has been used actually for the very things you've said, to, 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 to um, keep Blacks seen or viewed as subpar humans. And for me, the beauty of religious naturalism is that it challenges some of these earlier scientific claims. And all of that is coming out of enlightenment racism of the 18th and 19th, late 18th, early 19th century, where a lot of European um, scientists were actually using their methods in very unsavory ways to um, view, sanction, and perpetuate very problematic notions of what is normatively human, what are racial categories, and how we can justify one cultural or ethnic or racial group to exploit or have power over another. So yes, it's reclaiming scientific discourse in the service of what it usually, in the contemporary world, it's really in the use of um, just facts or I should say interpreted facts based in empirical common sense through our sensory um, data and reclaiming it in a way that many people of color are often afraid of scientific discourse because it has been used in such a negative 
um, problematic way. So that's one of the gaps. Another, oh, shall I go on? Or yeah, please, 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 yeah. Um, another gap that I'm trying to um, fill in is that in um, religious naturalism, which I love, very little of the prominent religious naturalists up until when I published my work were interested in issues of social justice or racial justice. It's not to say that they weren't interested in it, but they didn't publish on them. So that's another gap that I was, and I am still one of very few um, religious naturalists who's a person of color who sees the beauty of it in terms of how it talks about interconnectedness and using common sense, pragmatic, scientific ideas to promote really good things, but it had not trickled down to some of these issues that religious scholars, philosophers, religion, uh, and other um, social justice people were advocating. So I'm trying to fill in that gap as well. And another gap in terms of critical theory, philosophical ideas, and humanistic ideas, within Black theology and Black religion, very few, I'm not saying that there aren't some, but very few of these um, thinkers have pivoted towards religious naturalism or philosophy of religion or humanistic understandings to bring up the beauty of black religion. And I'm filling in that gap as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was, that was something that struck me is, did you feel as if you were, you were standing in a, in a liminal space because on one side you're, you're trying to, um, bring uh, certain scientific paradigms and, and discussions surrounding naturalism and humanism um, into conversation with um, a lineage of black thought that uh, essentially what you're offering is not a theistic framework. It's, it, it's an alternative right. to that. And so it strikes me that, that you're, doing, you're doing something that is bringing together as you're, as you're outlining uh, discourses that have not necessarily been juxtaposed uh, in in ways before, and yet, you know that's that's hard work because you're gonna you're 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 drawing a thread and you're gonna be sort of drawing criticism from both sides. Is that is that fair? Yeah, very fair. And I do want to say that um, I'm not saying that this is the only way to understand African American religiosity, but the dominant model of theistic. Uh, African-American religiosity, for me, has not been productive. Um, it still has value for a lot of African-Americans, I know that. <laughs> um, but at the same time, the it, uh, traditional African-American theology has utilized this concept of God to, to, to promote we are all human. And um, as far as I'm concerned, that project has been futile on a number of levels, and yet it still has a lot of value for a number of adherents of Black religion. I don't want to take that away. I want to say there's another way of understanding the richness and the beauty and the resilience of Black religion, and you can look at it in this other way as well. Yeah, that's that leads me to another question, which which you've already sort of gestured toward, which would be, you know, what are some of the key takeaways you'd hope readers would would garner from the book, and I think you've already sort of hinted at some of that, but um, would you mind just expanding yeah. on that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, I do, and I have a couple more takeaways. First, 
uh, as one, one, not the only model of black religiosity, this African-American religious naturalism that I'm advancing, uh, I think promotes intersectional analysis in a very rich, fascinating way. Um, and it can play a vital role in current movements uh, that are trying to promote justice for myriad nature, not just human nature, not just uh, more than human nature, but everything that I consider to be sentient and alive. What do I mean by that? This African-American religious naturalism promotes what technical thinkers call a communal ontology. What that means is that everything that exists is interconnected. There's no isolated entity. Now this is part of Buddhist thinking. Um, this is part of quantum theory. This is part of um, some um, indigenous cultures. So the, the claim itself is not new, but within my work, I'm looking at it, especially as it's coming forth from some of the empiricist claims of evolutionary biology and quantum physics in yeah. particular. And this relational or communal ontology encourages its adherence. When you take it beyond the scientific um, setting and start setting within a religious or humanistic setting, then it promotes a certain type of ethics. It promotes a certain type of thinking in which we can recognize that um, when I say that I love myself, that implies I love you. Or when I say I love you, I love myself. There's no such thing as any type of isolationist rhetoric or politics. So it's the one and the many, it's the one and the all that has been a classic philosophical issue, you know, in, in terms of yep. rational thinking. But when you really trickle down, it's really suggesting that um, when you talk about black lives, you're talking about all lives. When you're talking about racialized bodies, um, you can't pit racialized bodies against gendered bodies. You can't pit um, secular against religious. You can't pit queer versus heterosexual, humans ver versus more than human. All are part of this matrix of existence, life that is interconnected. And now best science promotes that. And some of our earlier wisdom traditions have promoted that as well. Yeah, it's, it's, really, um, it's really fascinating how you've uh, taken um, your cues from the, the quantum uh, physics and quantum mechanics and cosmology sort of uh, worlds and drawn them into an ontology that reaches uh, to the political level, right? And to, as you're saying, there's, a, there's an ethic here that is, that is yeah. uh, able to be constructed from this ontology. And uh, that's really fascinating. And it, it leads me to a final question, which is really, you know, what, what, what future research did right, this, this open up for you? Or maybe what's the current things that have, um, have maybe come from uh, finishing this project and, and, and turning your attention to other uh, avenues of thought? I just wonder if there's some connections there and some, some light bulbs that went on in, in the process and, and, and things you might explore further. Thank you again. Um, I, 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 um, since the publication of this study in 2016, I've, I've actually have been um, exploring several themes within it in other works. And I have to say that I feel so fortunate 
that the book has received a lot of attention that has pushed me to speak about it in different venues. And so one particular um, article that's forthcoming is when I'm actually looking at the Black Lives Matters movement um, through the lens of religious naturalism as a type of new materialist thinking. So what I do in this fourth, and it's coming out in an edited volume, it'll be out in 2021. I basically argue that the Black Lives Matter movement has not been understood uh, by a lot of people. There's a lot of rich theoretical conceptual um, thinking within it. And I apply that argument to studying many of the um, themes, the platform of the Black Lives Matter movement to some of the themes within religious naturalism. So that's one. Um, another interesting um, study I have done that has already been um, published uh, I looked at James Baldwin's um, as iconic queer theorist, and I um, looked at some of his thinking. So I pulled from my chapter uh, Baldwin, uh, looking at how you can um, understand his idea of black religiosity and black human beings, this notion of the bastardized existence of Amer black Americans here as a type of queer enactment and utilizing, again, religious naturalism, the one and the many and all, and that interconnectedness. And finally, uh, I'm working on a new book as we speak in which I'm taking the idea of white supremacy and human exceptionalism, both of those that are implicit within um, my 2016 publication, yeah. And I'm conjoining them to argue for uh, a way of understanding um, Black animality as what was happening during the 19th century, um, that Enlightenment racism, and to argue for understanding the animality, a new view of animality in such a way that humans see our connection to um, other animals, other what I call more than human nature, and yet to challenge a certain type of anthropocentrism that has seen humans being at the center of, um, of life. So I'm trying to challenge exceptional human nature on the one hand and white supremacist um, racism on the other through this understanding of animality and using again the historical notion that blacks are animals or closer to animals. It, it, it seems like a similar, a similar move as, as, um, as you've made in this book in the sense that you're, you're taking a discourse, you're taking a theme, a motif that has uh, been used against uh, yes. you know, black people and, and sort of subverting it in very, uh, in very cunning ways, it seems to me. And, then, and also, um, you, you seem to be someone who likes the challenge because you're, you're, you're again not only challenging the exceptionalism of white supremacy, but the exceptionalism of anthropocentrism right. itself, which right. is, right. which is, yeah, so. Right. Or speciesism. In other words, yep. I am claiming, you're absolutely right, Brad, and apparently I like doing this for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe it's because I'm always on the margins of different discourses, but I'm definitely um, challenging the speciesism that's in 
certain anti-black rhetoric on the one hand, but I'm also challenging the fact that white supremacy has helped to create, uh, even create this model of anti-black um, rhetoric. Yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. No, that's fascinating. Well, I. And part of I'm sorry. Part of no. the part of the task is a historical task, going back to these um, earlier texts and teasing out some of what they're saying. So part of my work is definitely historical as within this book. And then part of it is a moving forward. What do we do with this now that we can read these texts and look at some of the interesting assumptions that they bring to how we even think about ourselves today. Yeah, wow. Well, I look forward to, um, I look forward to getting to see, you know, that uh, when, when, when you're, you're done and ready to share it with us in the world. And so for now, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I feel like I could talk to you about this stuff for three hours, but I want to say thank you for just taking the moment here to explain, you know, the context of your work, the, the main thesis, and giving everyone a kind of general understanding of where you're coming from and what you wanted to accomplish with the work. And I just want to say we're incredibly excited for the live panel so that we can continue this conversation along with the other panelists uh, and really dive in uh, with a little bit more nuance and a little bit more detail. So, Carol, thanks for joining me and thanks for doing this. Thanks for taking the time. And thank you for this opportunity. And I thank those who are going to listen to me and I look forward to the critiques as well as other comments. I, I, I'm ready for, for the engagement with others. Thank you again, Brad, for this opportunity. Yeah, no, thank you. All right, we'll see you at the live panel.